The Staff and Graph Podcast. This is weird. My lock's been drilled, so I open the door and my steering wheel is missing. In looks for salad. You know, you're trying very hard not to get sued. You can have all the talent in the world skating around, but if you don't have a goaltender, it does not matter. Team tidy business, baby. I've got a fun Quinn Hughes question. If we redraft the 2018 draft today and uh, NHL general managers all get a redo, where do you think he goes? That's a really good question. I think... I think he definitely top three. I think that's the that 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 is I think fairly easy, just because in his rookie season he's already he's already top five in 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 the NHL and in points from a defenseman. Um, he's a he's a number one D. Those are really hard to come by. So um, I think from a positional standpoint, even even though a player like Brady Kachuk has been outstanding, I think he. Um, he takes the leg up there. I think the real debate comes in when you're trying to order Svechnikov and Dalian and in, in Hughes because so far, and I wrote a piece on this um, in January as well, comparing Dalian and Hughes. And obviously, Hughes is six months older, so he has a little bit of an, an advantage there. But so far, anyway, Hughes has been better than Dalian by virtually every objective measure, whether it's ice time, uh, the quality of the matchups he faces, his, uh, his point production, two-way impact. Um, just by through every lens, he's been better so far. I think Dalian has the higher ceiling, um, if that kind of makes sense, um, when both guys hit their primes. And then Sveshnikov, I think he's a franchise winger. It just sort of depends on positional um like what do you prioritize more a franchise winger who could probably consistently score 40 goals or um are you going to go with uh with the number one defenseman so uh for me if i was an nhl gm i'd probably take him second overall behind i'd go Dallin uh hughes svechnikov but i could hear um Ooh. any argument um amongst that top three i have svechnikov one just as a fun kind of side. Ooh, I love what he's done in Carolina. I think Svechnikov is, is, he could very well be the best player in that draft. I'm just very, um, like, I, I place a premium on centers and defensemen, just as kind of my overall philosophy. I completely That's agree. A number one defenseman, and we see this in Toronto, is much harder to come by than a top line winger. We have. Three Paul of Paul Marner would disagree with that. <laughs> well, so you know Darren what? Drager. Let's just say that Paul Marner uh, is very high on his son's abilities. And, okay, so... So I've heard. Quinn Hughes, you take two. Let's leave... Let's leaving the Calder out of this, because I think that that's a debate that's going to be had, and I don't really think that this is a, a great time to have it, because we don't know what's going to happen with the rest of the year. But just Hughes versus McCarr, you've seen Quinn Hughes play a lot, and Kale McCarr plays in the West, and Ian and I try and watch uh, both defensemen. They're they're entertaining. For my money, they're, they're pretty similar in their impact. They play relatively the same. Um, Kale McCarr gets a little bit more offensive zone starts, and Quinn Hughes' PDO was like 97-7 this year, and McCarr's was 102, so... Is there that much of a difference, or do you think they're they're kind of on the 
a similar trajectory, and they're both going to be the premier defensemen in the West for the next decade. Yeah, I think um, you, it's a really important thing that you mentioned, the PDO factor, because I think, look, I think Kale McCarr will, just purely from an offensive standpoint, have a long-term edge, perhaps, because his shot is such a, a unique weapon, and it's better than Hughes's. But I think when you stack those two two guys up, um, and when you account for future regression, just the fact that when McCarr's been on the ice, he's sort of had a little um, he's had a little bit of on ice luck, um, and and Hughes hasn't quite had quite had that. Um, the gap between those two are a lot closer offensively than people realize. Uh, my colleague Thomas Drance, back in November when Hughes was considered the runaway. Um, wrote on that PDO and said, hey, the gap is really going to narrow. And that's exactly what happened over the course of the second half of the season, um, where I think Hughes sort of levels the field compared to McCarr is in his two-way impact, particularly defensively. Um, if you look at the underlying numbers and the impact that both of these players have um, in terms of influencing their team's ability to control shots and scoring chances, um, both are phenomenal, but Hughes ha- does have the slight edge in that department, and he's done so against elite competition. So for Vancouver, he's played in a shutdown uh, matchup role, routinely going up against the Connor McDavid's and Nathan McKinnon's of the world since about late November when Alex Edler went out with injuries. So I think um, at, at this point in their career, McCarr maybe has a little bit more offensive pop, but despite his sort of size disadvantage, Hughes actually has um, the two-way edge just in terms of how well he's been able to control play um, in the in the microstats that I've looked at. Um, he's already the Canucks' best defenseman at defending the rush and forcing forcing uh, puck carriers to dump the puck in. Um, so that's how, kind of how I assess it. I think there are virtually equal on, on the same level um, and maybe that goes against um, the, the common narrative where people think Mikar does have the leg up but um, I see them as virtually on, on the same uh, plane both are going to be uh, elite number one uh, defensemen for the next decade or more they're both like their skating is just phenomenal it's unbelievable to watch they could be doing pirouettes out there and it would look just as nice I feel like Kale McCarr has the higher top-end speed when it comes to that next gear he can hit, but I think Hughes' edge work out of the corner is a little it's bit better. insane, yeah. Yeah, um, that's one of those things where Hughes isn't, like, if you had a straight-line speed, um, like, he's not gonna, he's not a burner in that sense, but his, yeah, as Ian mentioned, his edge work, just his ability to make tight turns, it's... It's it's just so unreal, and you see he manufactures space when there's nothing in front of him, and just the way he's able to uh, put his arm out, engage where uh, sort of the, the the pressure is, and use his body position, and then spin off of a guy. It's it's unreal to watch, and and Makar, um he's just so explosive, and and his pivot pivoting is really strong in in, in his own regard as well. So when you are looking at statistically evaluating a goalie what are some key metrics that you look at for performance and then to make projections let's say if you're scouting so for the projections that's the hardest one right because those are the ones that right now uh, I think the toughest part is when you look at a projection you're looking at down the line when you're looking especially with scouting you're looking at if this player if player x goes to team y or if they have 
these other players with them, how will they perform? And right now, goaltending metrics are all still very reliant on everyone else on the ice. So we don't really have a ton of isolating goaltending metrics, right? So when it comes to projections, uh, I like to look at year to year. Um, I like to look at the year to year quality start percentage, um, which sounds kind of funny, but it just shows their consistency. Um, Even if they're not playing at the highest level that they could be, even if, you know, their, their numbers are getting a little skewed because their defense is, is run and gun because they're, they're facing a lot of screenshots. They're facing a lot of shots that come off of the second or third rebounds that they've allowed. Um, You're still getting a fairly good idea of how consistent they are with, with putting up the same numbers game to game. And then you can, once you look at who's the most consistent, you can go into looking at the high danger save percentage. You can look at even the, the expected save percentage to an extent. Although I know I listened to the podcast that you guys did last week. I know I told you, Rachel, I, I went out for a nice run past, uh, past Gila river arena, which is a nice couple miles from me. Listen to the whole thing. Um, when you look at those numbers, the publicly available data is still so different from what we're looking at privately. So, so my cheating answer is I, I message Cole Anderson and get, get the publicly yes. available data before I, before I really start looking at a player to see what the, what the difference is between what we're publicly and privately seeing. But I also like to look at those, those consistency numbers first, like Anders Nielsen versus Jacob Markstrom for me was a huge one. They had similar ish numbers year to year when you're looking at them with the Canucks, but Anders Nielsen until this last year with Ottawa had one of the worst quality start percentages in the league. He never Ooh. hit league average when it came to quality start. It was constantly in about the 40% range and typically about league average is 53% to 58%. And he was sitting in the forties every year, sometimes even the thirties when he had good other numbers. So he was wildly inconsistent. uh, Whereas Jacob Markstrom was a little bit more consistent with everything. So that gave me a little bit of a platform, but like, like you guys said on the last podcast, looking at those projections and those scouting numbers, there's still so much that's reliant on, trusting the public data there's still so much that's reliant on who the player who the goaltender is playing with how many starts they're getting what their rest is like that it's kind of hard to project what they will play like in the future because all of that could change year to year when you talk about the four levels of scouting kind of what does that mean to you and how do you approach it okay so the the first level is what a lot of people would say is the eye test, but really I call it not paying attention, right? <laughs> you, see a, you, you see a defenseman with 12 goals, 20 assists, 120 pins, and you're thinking, well, you know, he's got skill, he's tough, um, probably a really valuable player, you know, maybe a heart and soul guy. If he has a beard, you think that he's a leader. <laughs> but if you're, that is but, amazing. But, perhaps, but, but, but you, you get what I'm saying, right? It's like yes. Ed Jovanovsky or Brian McCabe or... Uh, whatever. I know that's why I'm growing out my beard right now in quarantine. Hashtag leadership. Yeah. So, so that's the first level where you, you take things at a very superficial level and you don't do a lot of critical thinking. And then it's like, this guy looks like he should be good. So he is good. Right. Yes. The second level is now, you know, you're applying some critical thinking. You're, you're watching games or taking down notes or you're tracking some stats, you know, anything that allows you to have a paper trail and what this guy's done. 
So then you're thinking, well, um, our, our our defenseman who who's a big bearded guy with a big slap shot, well, his zone exits are not very good, or he doesn't defend entries very well, or I find that he def- he struggles defending pivoting to his left, and now you're starting to see things at a a second level of understanding, right? That you're not just going by appearances. Now you're at, you actually have some facts, um, kind of supporting. Uh, your conclusions on this guy. So once you get to the second level, I would say you're probably ahead of 95% of anyone who watches hockey. Right? So once again, it's, like, it's exponential. It's like a fat tail, right? Like once you get past one level, then you're way ahead. The third level is you look at this guy and you're thinking, well, um, he doesn't turn over a wall to the left, but that's because his elbow uh, is in the wrong place and his center of gravity is off. So we can fix that. Or he doesn't accelerate very fast because his shin angle is poor, so he doesn't have a lot of leverage when he pushes off. Or um, he doesn't make very good plays um, in transition because he catches the puck in the wrong spot on his body. So now you're, you're thinking more like a player development coach um, when you're thinking about, um, okay, well, these are things that we can work on with this guy, right? And now you're about you're you're in the top ninety nine percent of all scouts or all people watching the game, and then the fourth level is like, well, if you know the market values this guy at a certain level, and now you're thinking it's almost like poker. You're thinking meta games, right? It's like if the market values him, then I should pass. But if the market has gone so far the other way that it doesn't value him anymore, I should probably sign him to a contract and see what he can do, right? And then there, there's the fifth level, but I don't know what that is because I'm not that smart, but, but it exists. <laughs> so, so it's like anything, right? It, um, but yeah, like it's, so, so it's, if you want to be a smarter kind of hockey person, just getting past the first level is going to get you most of the way there. And then eventually you're going to find that there's, you know, a second, third, fourth, fifth, et cetera, right? And at some point you're, you get to a point where, you know, you have a conversation with Sheldon Keefe, who's a smart guy, and he says, well, you are so smart that you actually sound really stupid right now. Oh, my God, that's my favorite. Jack, do you think that someone can be an elite-level scout without having played hockey at a high level? Yes. Because I find it hard to get to level three. I find it really hard to... The level three that you talked about is the the part that I've had the hardest uh, part with my scouting analysis. Whenever I'm trying to break down a play, I never played at a high level. I'm not really sure where my hands are supposed to be. I'm not really sure where your shins are supposed to be. Is that something you just pick up over time the more you do it and the more smart people you talk to? I mean, I would even say, like, you will learn more about skating if you just watch figure skating more. Because figure skating, like, if your shin angle is not right, then you don't land, right? You land on your bum instead of on your skate blade. It's just got to be right. And it seems like every elite figure skater has that part down pat, whereas not every elite hockey player knows how to do it. And that is why you contract Barb Underhill to help you. The ones with the best edge work, man. Like, some of them uh, figure skated when they were younger. Jeff Skinner's a classic example. Yeah, but or you know it could be tennis, could be basketball, could be soccer. But a lot of the next level things you get from you know cross pollination. What's the most different aspect of the day to day thing for you? Like, you, do you have any traditions, like game day traditions or anything you couldn't do anymore? And I mean, on the road, obviously, you can't go out for you know beer or wine or anything with with the the guys and I, I would say the people that you're with, you know. But the gals too, exactly. Yeah, I, which I'm hoping 
is a group that expands. But it's like, what's different from a home perspective here? Because I mean, I'm like, is there an entrance that you usually walk through you can't do anymore? Like, the, I'm assuming the media room, like it's shut off, like in terms of meals, like what, take us behind the curtain for a sec here. Yeah. Okay. So I'll answer this in two ways. The first is like, cause my two favorite parts of the job, just me. And, and I, mm-hmm. and I think it's fair to say lots of sports reporters or writers would have maybe different answers than this, but my two favorite parts personally are finding out stuff. No one else knows. Oh yeah. Like, and so like, that's just fun for me. Like I get a kick out of that. Even yeah. I'm not just talking about like breaking a trade. I'm talking like, you know, talking to a player and finding out something about his background or like an adjustment he's made. Like, I just like learning about what's going on. And so you, you basically can't do that. I mean, it's all zoom avails and mm-hmm. with everybody, and that's just a product of, that's not a complaint. It's just, that's a fact. So like the ability to sort of like have those little mini discoveries constantly is gone. And that's a, one of my kicks. And the other is honestly just the buzz around going to big games. I still like going to games as many as I've been to Yeah. just because I find it's like a natural high. Honestly, there's, it doesn't even matter which teams are playing. It's just being around that, that energy of the people and the game and the, the volume, like, you know, rises and falls the excitement. And so you're not getting that even when you're at, you know, I was at the Stanley cup final when Tampa wins at Edmonton. And like, again, it's like five media people and, and the guys on the ice, like you could hear them yelling, um, which is great for Tampa, but it's not the same thing as, you know, the times I've been there when the cup was won in a full building. So the professionally, that's like the two things that I really jump out to me. And I think mm. it's, what's made this year harder is both of those things are like natural shots of adrenaline that I get like yeah. along, you know, cause if we, during the season, you just work every day, day and night. Like you're, I'm at games late, you get up like you're like, it's, it's, but like part of what keeps you going is that adrenaline. So I'm not getting those adre- adrenal hits essentially. Um, and when, and when it just t- like going to the rink and everything itself, it's all different. Like we enter mm-hmm. a different door probably. It's funny you brought up the one cause I wouldn't have thought of this, but yet yeah, they don't serve food there anymore. And so Which in the old days, back when I was young before COVID, <laughs> like on a typical game day, I go to the morning skates. Uh, well, obviously we talk to the players after the skate. I usually have to write a story, like just something quick and a lineup update, whatever's going on. I usually do a TV hit. And quite honestly, I would often stay there all day till the game. Yeah. Just because it was, it was easier. I might leave for an hour to go for a walk or to grab a coffee just to get outside. But like, I wouldn't ever go home. But now you have to go home because you're not allowed to stay mm-hmm. there if you want to. But then I would usually eat dinner at the arena in the media room before seven o'clock, whenever the puck drop is. Well, now there isn't a media room and there's no dinner, which is fine. So you have to sort of either eat. It's just your day gets kind of thrown off. Like, when do you eat? I find myself bringing food in. Obviously, you have to stay apart from the other reporters. Like the whole thing is just a little weird. Yeah. Uh, we also have to get tested, which is one thing I'll give MLSE credit for. First of all, it makes me feel safer. Sure. Uh, and secondly, I recognize there's a cost to that, that I'm not bearing. I'm not, I don't have to pay for that, but it also gives me a certain amount of peace of mind that, you know, if I pass a rapid test, at least that, you know, I, I probably don't have it, especially a week when you're going there multiple times and you're passing multiple tests. So everyone has to pass a rapid test to get into, to cover Maple Leafs game, which I appreciate because, you know, I, I'm not doing anything in COVID, but you still never, I, you know, these new variants they say are pretty transmissible. And yeah. I live in a building. You just wonder in the elevator through the vent system, whatever, you know, I'm just not sure. I did not know about that Royal York uh, experience. Like that is, so- yeah. first of all, credit to Myrtle. I'm going to, you know, give him a night off from roasting him in the Dangle Navy group chat. Like, because that's a fantastic 
fantastic idea for a story. But yeah. I didn't know this. So I'm going to let's probe on this a little bit more because it's a little fun. Like, what was it like in there? Like what like what did the player lounges look like? What did the patio look like? Because we had no access to that. Like the public had yeah. no we just saw the fence and that's it. It was just this magical mystery land like you got to see it at least in its infancy like before yeah. that's so cool yeah and i mean it was in its infancy so when i saw the player lounges like they were just putting tables and stuff in there so i didn't get to see really all the stuff the one thing that i thought was really cool was when i was there there mm-hmm. was like the regular royal york wi-fi then there was nhl wi-fi and nhl Ooh. console wi-fi so they had a specific like stream or network for gaming. And then they had a regular, so there was two internet connections for the NHL. One was for regular network and another one was like a gaming network. So that was one thing that I saw that was like really cool. Cause I know, um, I think it was the NBA bubble. Um, one of the players posted that like the update on their NBA 2k took like 20 hours to load or something because yeah. everyone was using the Disney Wi-Fi. So that was one thing that I saw there that was really cool that they had already set up the two different Wi-Fi networks. Um, the patio that they had was still open to the public when I went. Okay. So I, one of my friends went and met me because I'm like, I'm not going to go sit at the Royal York bar outside by myself. <laughs> um, so one of my friends did come and meet me and we went and sat there. It was um, the Clockwork Tower, I think it was called. Mm-hmm gorgeous nice patio like the menu etc i don't know what they would have changed the menu to but the patio is really nice it was big wraparound on the outside of the royal york um obviously they ended up putting the barrier there so the players could go to that patio whenever they wanted um and but you know what the thing that was the weirdest was just how empty the royal york was like that was the last day for bookings but i was like basically the only person there like i yeah, saw like who's staying in a hotel at that point yeah, no the one. only people that was there, um, I there was like sometimes I would just sit, like lurk around in the lobby just to see if I could like see stuff and see people coming in. I was like trying to work, right? I <laughs> they sent me to the Royal York. I'm like, I'm not just gonna go and order room service and sit by myself. Like I'm gonna try to like sleuth I just around. Picture you, I just picture you like behind one of the columns and like the <laughs> yeah, just kind of peeking out, being like, oh, there's. I get I'm, there's Gary Bettman like no, yeah, it's, no that's hilarious I didn't see there was no Gary yeah. Bettman spottings um but there were yeah, some NHL people there. coming in and out you know getting plans ready there was a group who was getting a tour of the bubble um I did walk around in the path um the, there was nothing in the path that was set up which confused me and then when the bubble actually opened I saw that they had the gates that they would like hmm. switch on the ground level so the players actually weren't using the path um Wow, you got confused in the path? What a shock. (laughs) (laughs) When I worked at CBC, I used to get lost all the time in the path. It was really sad. And I worked there for so long. Yeah. I worked downtown for three years, like three straight summers. I worked in like the financial district and I went to get an ultrasound on my knee last week and it was in the path. I gave myself, I live like not very far (laughs) away from, from where the place is. Like I live maybe like a 10 minute walk. And I gave myself a 45 minute cushion to get there on time. And I was late because I got lost. Yeah, the path is treacherous. There is. Yeah, I I could go on for days. Mm -hmm. It makes no sense. I was standing like I was standing at a certain point. I had to ask some like a person who worked at a convenience store. be like, hey, do you know where like 11 King is? She's like, well, that's 20 King and that's four King. And I'm like. None of this makes any sense. So I'm like, so I'm standing where it should be, but I'm looking at an empty wall. Like what? It's ridiculous. No, it's terrible. 
but no, the bubble, like what I saw of them getting like prepared, it was, it was a cool setup. But at the end of the day, like you can put as good Wi-Fi, you can give them whatever food Mm -hmm. you can allow them. Um, and I think there was a bunch of restaurants who were, you know, the set people like delivering them food. So you could order from there and they'd bring it to the hotel. But like the, at the end of the day, like these guys are still away from their families. They're still secluded like even the players in Toronto like they had to say goodbye to their families to go and stay in a hotel in Toronto so you know I I can't imagine how difficult that would be for these guys blown away too with Lando Norris at McLaren um you I don't know if you've been introduced to him yet but the McLaren I think I have yeah where you're at what's your impression he's the 18 year old right yeah yeah Yeah. so I haven't I haven't spent a lot of I haven't spent a lot of time on him but like Zach, like their, their, their head guy, he's, he's been having, cause it's weird. You mentioned Williams as being like a, not a, necessarily a top team, but like competing where I'm at, like they suck. Like they, oh, they still suck. They still suck. Okay. Yeah. Like for example, like to put in perspective and also to your point about like the battles for second and third, like it's not just, you know, who comes first is the bat, whatever. There's a point system, which is really important. So like guys will get you, you like you get cut off for points at 10 at 10th. So if you get P10 or whatever, like at least you still get points and there will be dudes who like just eke into 10th place. And they're like, hell yeah, man, like mission accomplished. We stay in the midfield. This is great, which makes it exciting. Um, where was I going with this? But yeah, it's, it's just, man, it's late. I totally lost my, my train of thought here, but like, but man, like it's, it's awesome. And yeah, I, I love it. I love, um, what's his name? Oh, the Haas guy. Oh yeah. Oh, you know what? I found it. So what I love about this from a media perspective too, is every single question that is asked to, first of all, they do it right. Like literally when, when Daniel Ricardo jumped mid season from Red Bull to Renault, which is a big deal. Like it's literally like John Tavares going from the Islanders to the Leafs in that like Red Bull thought they'd retain him. It's totally out of nowhere. They got, the Red Bull team, they had a big press conference of all the guys, like all, all, the, all the team leads, because that's what they do every race week. And they sit strategically, the Cyril, the Renault guy, next to Christian, the Red Bull guy. And they ask Cyril how awesome it is that Daniel Ricciardo is now joining his team while he's sitting next to, like, it's like he's getting cucked, basically. And it's, yeah, well, it's incredible. Yeah, and- and okay, so when you, because I know you want to, you want to watch all the seasons first. But you, you can still, you can still happens. tell me stuff. Like it's fine, it's fine. Well, so but but what I've noticed, and I think I think as a hockey fan, you can appreciate anybody can appreciate this. Our our biggest frustration in hockey is that nobody wants to give an honest answer. Yes, these F one drivers. Oh are my like, god! I was and he's an asshole. Oh and my it's, god! It's amazing. Like like this weekend, George Russell um, uh, knocked out uh, Valtteri Bottas and. Mm. You know, there was there was a little bit of confusion. There's a little bit of a, 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 a track twist that kind of pushed the two cars together. And when we talk about a crash, like it cut both cars to ribbons. Yeah. Like both and, and George Russell gets out of his car and goes and yells at Valtteri Botas and says, you, you know, what are you trying to do? Trying to get us killed when really it was probably a track issue. So probably as as the team manager said, 60, 40. Yeah. In, yeah. in terms of mistakes. Um but you see afterwards, they're still heated and they're still telling the press, God, you know, the guys are and he cut me off. Like it's, it's, like, it's road rage. Shit. It's road rage. It's like, yeah. it's like interviewing a guy right after he gets cut off on the highway. Like yes. you're going to, yes. and you know what I love too? Every question that these journalists ask the, the drivers or the, or the, the, what's it called? Um, team, like team managers, mm-hmm. like 
if an NHL reporter asks an NHL player that question, they get their credentials revoked. Every single question. Every single one. It's insane. It's literally like the first episode starts. Haas, like the Haas team, just fucks it real hard on one of their first races. And literally one of the questions for their further engineer. And I'm watching this, you know, being conditioned as like a hockey media person. I'm watching this. And one of the questions for the engineer is like, do you think you should retire? Uh, you should resign? Like the engine blew. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, that's, I, and I look at my dad. I'm like, wow, that's really fucked up, man. Like that's what a question. And then the next shot is, yes, yeah, so we've accepted his resignation. And I'm like, holy shit, he did it. Like that's, yeah. that's crazy. It's, it's so exciting, man. I love it. What, uh, this is, ba- I described it to you essentially as, what you know what grinds my gears from family guy okay what's 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 tick, doing the opposite of tickling your fancy what is doing the opposite of tickling my it, fancy? and it doesn't have to be hockey related literally anything i tell you what um what, what is what what comes up a lot with the toronto maple leafs or at least uh the unfair thing that i do is the multi-sport comparison Mm-hmm. the NBA comparison. And yeah. I was looking at last year's team and I go, what are they? And they are the Philadelphia 76ers. They have these mm-hmm. really important pieces, these young pieces, and we keep thinking they're going to do the thing and they never do. Now, the difference is they have actually won around. But my problem with the Philadelphia 76ers and the Toronto Maple Leafs is the idea of trusting the process. No yeah. Leafs fan... Trust the process. They trust their eyes and ears mm-hmm. and the results. And what is killing me about this first place team, this team that is doing better than they have in a millennia, is we are not going to be able to enjoy a single solitary second of it. Not today on March 11th that we are recording this. Not the beginning of the playoffs. May 8th, I believe, is the last day of the regular season. Mm-hmm. Not even after they win around. After they win around is when people are going to start trusting the process. But this fan is not uh, this fan base is not going to believe in this team until the cups in their hands. Yeah. And it's just Do you blame them for that? No, I don't blame I uh, blame them for that. I don't blame myself for that. I resent mm. myself for that. And there's a difference. Yeah. I do not blame myself for what has happened to me <laughs> as a fan of the Toronto Maple Leafs. I resent what the Toronto yes. Maple Leafs have done to me. They have been bad for so long that they have made it difficult to enjoy when they are good. And that I resent so much about this team. I We, we talked about therapy. Irrational fears. There are yeah. no irrational fears with the Toronto Maple Leafs. All of them are rational. It is always there that they are up top now, but what if they are not? That team could be up three games to none in the Stanley Cup final with a 3 nothing lead and three minutes left. And my heart will be beating out of my frigging chest because if they blow this game, then they're going to blow the entire thing. 100%. Being a Leafs fan has damaged me in in multiple sports. The Raptors, the Toronto Raptors, they failed to close Mm. out Game 5, Game 6 with all of its drama, and Danny freaking Green, with about 14 seconds left, gives the ball away. And when that ball left Steph Curry's hands for the final shot in that game, I'm like, okay, this is where they lose the championship. I know there's a whole other Game 7 that's going to be on our home court, and they're going to lose it. They're going to lose it right there. And it has nothing to do with the Toronto Raptors. It has everything to do with the Toronto Maple Leafs. It is so difficult 
to enjoy myself as a fan of the Toronto Maple Leafs because of decades of baggage, Mikey. Decades of baggage. Yeah. Can I go off for a line change? No, your name's Mike Keenan. All right, I'll stay. Freddie yeah. Anderson is a reason yeah. to doubt. Justin Hall, off, you look King. an awful lot like last year's Justin Hall over the last three games. How about you freak off with all of that? Austin Matthews, what if his wrist explodes? William Nylander, what if he gets traded and then goes on to perennially score 40 goals? What if the Tavares contract is too much? What if the Marner contract, we never get to fully enjoy the fruits of it because the cap is going to stay flat for four years like you just said. Mikey, what if Morgan Riley no longer has it? And then what if he goes somewhere later and gets it back? What if Zach Hyman turns into the next guy and he asks for $7 million a year? What if, what if, what if? I am not going to be able to enjoy all of these what ifs being up in the air until there are no longer any what ifs. There is just what is. And that is the Stanley Cup being in John Tavares' hands as he Mm -hmm. hands it to the creature living in Joe Thornton's beard who then passes it to Joe Thornton. I don't blame you for a single word that you just said. They're all correct. I know. Steve, I am 25 years old. The last time the Leafs won a playoff series, I was eight. So, Rachel, why don't you take it away? Why don't you give your Kovalev shift, tell us all about how much of a fan you are of this guest while he sits awkwardly and listens to it. Yeah, really. He's 100% logs off this podcast after. He's like, I'm never speaking to her again. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... I guess, like, I was born the day the Sens and Leafs opened the Corral Center. And, like, I guess you signed, what, in 97? Uh, yeah, the Mar- March of 97, yeah. Okay, so I would have been, like, 15 months old, so a little young. But then my dad said, like, basically once I was, like, 18 months and, like, walking around, kicking a soccer ball, like, wheeling a hockey stick, I guess, like, that season started. It would have been ni- the 97-98 season. And for whatever reason, when they did, like, the home, like, the intros, I guess where they, like, bring everyone out on the ice, like, Andy Frost, like, says your name or whatever, um, mm-hmm. they said your name. And, like, my dad just said I looked up at the screen and just mesmerized. And ever since then, like, basically until you got traded, whenever you played, that was the only thing that mattered. <laughs> and it was intently ridiculous. And apparently I didn't like eating fruit and vegetables as a child. And my dad told me that the way they got me to eat them, but by telling me that you ate them, which I would assume is true. Can you confirm? Do you eat fruits and vegetables? Uh, I mean, yeah, probably not as many as I should, but uh, on occasion I have them. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. But anything I can do to help the nutrition of a young kid. Yeah, exactly. That you're under two years old. Do you understand the... Do you understand the responsibility on your shoulders right now? Who knew? That you, Who? you are responsible <laughs> yeah. for her nutrition? I mean, well, I'm you up to being like a, a healthy athlete. I take full credit for that. Basically. So then I guess they traded you like during the day to Tampa. And at that yes. point, like I didn't know anyone could be traded. Like I didn't realize that was a thing. I was like, oh, look, like my favorite hockey player is going to be on my favorite team forever and ever. Amen. This is great. And uh, that decidedly did not happen. So my dad, I came home from school. They like picked me up. I was eating like M&M's. Um, and my dad pulls out the video camera and I'm like, Oh, sick. We're going to play hockey. Like whatever. Right. And, uh, he goes, I have something to tell you. And I was like, okay. I'm like four years old at this point. He's like, um, Mike Johnson doesn't play for the Leafs anymore. And I guess for like, whatever reason, I thought you got like gravely injured. And so I thought I was (laughs) never going to be able to see you play hockey again. And I was like, Oh my God, what happened? I'm already welling up with tears. 
And he's like, they, he plays for a different hockey team now. So he had to explain like what a trade was with like chess pieces. Um, and then he said, oh, like we got this new player. He's really good, but Mike plays for a different team. So you're not allowed to cheer for him anymore. And the meltdown that ensued was like a good 35 minutes. And it basically ended with me being like, I'm A, sleeping in my Mike Johnson jersey, and B, I'm never <laughs> watching the Toronto Maple Leafs again. <laughs> and you've kept that promise to this day. So pretty much the same reaction like my mom had. Like, that's it. I'm dead. The Leafs are dead to me. I'll never watch them again. That Pat yes. Quinn, I hate that guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, R- Rachel, the funny thing is, like, I remember, whatever, that was my third or fourth year in Toronto, whatever it happened to be. But I remember my first trade deadline of my rookie year. You got a flashback like 25 years ago. Like there, there wasn't the internet. There wasn't, you know, social media. You know, trade deadline didn't exist as a show or as a thing. I guess it existed in the league, but nobody followed what was happening. And I remember going through that day completely oblivious. Like I also thought you couldn't get traded. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> these things don't happen. Well, and at three o'clock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I remember it was Felix Potvin and Jason Smith were like, yeah, we fooled them again. They got past the deadline. I'm like, I had no idea. Completely oblivious. So uh, yeah, live and learn. But uh, as a, and my entire thing now is whenever I'm around Toronto, as you know, I live here. Um, people are like, I don't remember people of your guys' age. Like, I don't remember you playing for leaps at all. I'm like, Fair enough. I'm like, but you remember Darcy Tucker? Everyone's like, yes, love Darcy Tucker. He's the best. He's the best. I'm like, nope. that's who I got traded for. So that's like my tie to the Leafs now is that, yes, the reason you guys love Darcy Tucker is because I was traded for him. I decidedly did not like Darcy Tucker because you got traded for him. You mentioned, you mentioned Yager. <laughs> Hold on, Rachel, because I want to I wanna get into this for a second. <laughs> so you played with Yammer Yager. That is some. That is. Legend. I mean, that, it, just considering the length he's played, it's 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 quite the list that he's played with. But also, it is an exclusive list. You're one of the only people on the planet who can say I get to play with Yammer Yager. You got like, please tell me any stories you got of him. Any stuff he does behind the scenes. He must. He seems like the most unique guy on the planet. He is very unique, um, and the, I got a couple of things. I guess you could say the one funny, easy one that I could say that mm-hmm. I can think of right away is him and him and Zubris would always just go at each other. And it was, it was like, you know, friendly banter, but they would just go back and forth and Yogs would be like, Zuby, Zuby, Zuby. Like he just do this, do this. And you'd kind of try to boss him around and, and Zuby would go back at Yogs. And it was, it was something just like you could sit back and you're like two veteran guys just getting into it with each other, but it's all just for <laughs> good, good stuff. Um, and the other thing about him that was, I don't want to like say it's a bad thing. It was just, he knew how much of a legend he is or he was, or is like, I think he still is a legend, but yeah. he, he wouldn't sign very many autographs for anybody. And so even if you were his teammate, like I, when I first kind of got there and was playing with them, somebody I, I witnessed, like kind of from a distance, some, one of the guys, I, I can't remember who it was, ask him like whether it was sign a, a Jersey or a stick or whatever the thing was a hat doesn't matter so they asked him hey yogs can you sign this for me like it's didn't say like what for or anything just hey do you mind signing this for me and yogs just kind of looked at him and was just like no no i don't <laughs> i don't sign that for you and uh i so then i saw that from afar and my jaw kind of dropped and i was like well it's a good thing i didn't ask him to sign something for me because i would have felt like an idiot like <laughs> and then so i was like i got but i play him with this guy it's probably gonna be for a year and then he's gonna move on somewhere else i gotta get mm-hmm. something signed by him i have to no matter what and I just had to find the time to do it. And so it was right around Christmas. 
Um, we were on Christmas break so that nobody was there for the team. And I was there because I've my rookie year, I fractured my ankle. And so right. I was rehabbing and, and it was right around Christmas time, whatever. And Yager came in because him, he's just the style he, he's got. He doesn't really have any, any other than family back home. He doesn't have anybody like he doesn't have anybody mm-hmm. with him. So he's just by himself. So he just, it was like a, whether it was boxing day, I don't even remember what day it was sometime around Christmas when there was nobody at the rink, whether the guys were on a road trip or whatever. Um, and it was just me and him in the rink and the, the one uh, strength coach was put just finished putting him through a workout on the ice. And I had just finished off the ice. So he got off the ice and was sitting down in his stall full of sweat, like breathing heavily. And I was like, okay, this is the perfect time to ask him to sign something because he's tired and he's not even going to think twice. And I'm just like, this is it. I got to get over there in the next like 10 seconds or else he's going to catch his breath. And so I grabbed like a, a devil's like a workout t-shirt and I just ran over there and I was like, Hey, Yogs, do you mind signing this for me? Just kind of like nicely. And he just like, had, I had, had the Sharpie ready and everything. And he grabbed the Sharpie, like signed it, still breathing heavy. He's like, here you go, buddy, here you go. And I, I walked away and I was like fist pumping. I was like, oh, I finally got him to sign something for me. Um, and so that was the one thing that I did get signed by Yammer Yager. And uh, that was, that's kind of my story about Yogs that I think is, is cool, that he doesn't just sign autographs for anybody. And you just kind of got to get him at the right time, I guess, because I was lucky enough to get something signed by him. That's incredible. He's you watched him big league his own teammate, <laughs> and then you were, and then you were able like you picked your spot, man. That is that is veteran stuff right there for rookie. That's veteran stuff. Yeah, I made sure. Well, if I didn't see that happen to begin with, I probably wouldn't have. But uh, I probably would have been that guy that ended up doing the same thing. Who I, I wish I remembered who the teammate was or or who it was. But uh, yeah, I, I'm just glad it wasn't me. That's for sure. I'm just I'm glad I got something signed, and he he didn't tell me no. So. Do you rub it into the teammate? Do you like go back once he came back? Be like, no, hey, look what I no, got. No chance. I did not want to start. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to stir the pot on that one because I didn't want. As a rookie, I didn't want that one coming back on me. Hockey players are so you know you are one like they're they're so ritual based like you know there there was that famous uh, I think piece that came out about Jack Eichel specifically where his his day is like three showers like he's got to eat at this specific place like it was crazy. How, he has to have I'm, a specific brand of plastic yeah. fork on the road as well. Well, here it was. I have my theory on that. Because yeah. I, I used to be that guy, right? Um, yeah. I remember all sorts of rituals. Jack Eichel has not had the luxury of being a bad enough player to recognize that's <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> so we go through all the rituals and you're like, oh, maybe it's the red tie and, and then you don't play well or whatever. Like, you know, um, it's not the, it's not the Really? What is like the weirdest ritual that you've seen, whether it's yourself or a guy that you played with? Like, what are some of the just way off I mean, the Patrick, beaten path? Patrick Marlowe would take a cold tub in between every single period. Really? So, every what? single one? How? All his gear off. So Mike Babcock would come in at the same time every game. It was like 730. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of time. Like from in Toronto, you've got to walk up to the bench. Like it's, it's not forever, but it's not right there. Yeah, he would take all his gear off, all his undergitch, right? Like, in, and when you're sweaty and like, you know, or getting out of a cold tub, like your skin's wet. Like, it's yeah. the hardest to put on, like, what you know, socks when your skin's wet. You get completely, you know, dressed down, jump in the cold tub for a couple minutes, put his gear back on. All of the time, coach walked in, ready to go. And you think he's played seventeen hundred games? Like, how many cold tubs is that? I mean, if we do the math, like I, I, I'm not good at math. So it's literally just 1700 times like three plus some overtimes. That's crazy. It's yeah. It's probably like 5,200. Yeah. That's up there. I'm trying to think of who else. 
Um, yeah, guys, performance and it's an art, it's a spirit, it's a, it's a mm-hmm. flow state, you know, it's, it's a hard thing to put in a pill. Um, you know, everyone's got their thing. What, what was the weirdest one that you did? Uh, when I was in Plymouth, I was, I'm, you know, very into diet, but for whatever reason mm-hmm. at that time, I was convinced that I had a point streak based off uh, cookie dough. So I would crush the raw cookie doughs, Toll House before the game. It makes sense. It was awesome. Um, I used to, this isn't necessarily a healthy one and kind of tips your hand at some of the addictive qualities that <laughs> it comes a fine line in a hurry as an athlete. Yeah. I used to take ibuprofen every single game, even though I was not hurt because mm-hmm. I loved the idea of being super warmed up when the game started. Yeah. I felt like I would sweat easier. Hmm. I don't know. Oh, interesting. And so I'd have this, you know, total leap going on, like kind of break your first sweat and I would just be dialed in when the game started. And then I'm like, you know, long-term liver health, this can't be good. Jeff, you're actually responsible for half of the name of the show. You, you, you're <laughs> the one who, who, you made it. Like you, you're the, it's your brainchild. So why don't you, why don't you give I don't, us all the little story of that? I don't, I don't know if it's my brainchild as much as it was uh, Rachel and I just having a conversation just in, in stunned laughter. So if you, so whenever Rachel calls my phone, it doesn't pop up Rachel Dory. It pops up female staffer. Mm-hmm. And for a while on uh, Rachel's Twitter feed, all it said, I believe Rach was female staffer. Like, and I think that was the bio you were happy to carry with you for a number of years. Rachel Dory, female staffer, Staff and Graph podcast. Here's the story um, about Rachel Dory. So there is a picture in a newspaper. Um, let me back it up quickly. Um, first of all, Rachel, why were you on the ice with the Leafs at that point? I can't remember. Was it a skills camp? Was it a development camp? What was it? Yeah, so I had actually been interviewing to be hired by the Leafs. And Dubis invited me to take part in development camp because the uh, like position they were hiring for was in player development. So yeah. they invited me. So that's right. why I was there. Look at you just dropping just uh, – is that 2017? 2017 uh, or 2018? Yeah, that was the summer of 2017. Okay, terrific. Look at her just dropping the names there. Oh, I like, oh Dubis. Oh. Like, Jeff, um, it's every day. It's every day. It's just constant. Uh, yeah, I'm friends you, with this person. I'm a big deal. Oh, uh, okay. You know, Rachel, Wayne Gretzky once said, you know, you should, you one, I remember Wayne Gretzky told me you should never drop names. Um, anyhow, um, so there's a picture in the paper. <laughs> I'm so proud of Rach. And there's a picture of Rachel and uh, Kyle Dubas and uh, Daryl Belfry and Scott Pellerin and Sheldon Keefe, and they're all identified. And then when it comes to the position of the photograph where you're supposed to identify Rachel Dory, it says, and a female staffer. <laughs> it's like all these dudes and a female staffer. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Rach, this is too good. You have to totally own this. And from now on, I am only referring to you as female staffer. So every now and then various conversations, I'll just start calling her female staffer. Oh, good morning, female staffer. Oh, hello, female staffer. And I, I, Rach, I think you know this by now. I will call you that until I draw my last breath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're like, Absolutely. I'm FS forever. Yeah. You know, you know I, I, female staffer. There's a, there's a famous interview with Brian Cranston that I, that I, I remember it sticks in my head and he goes, you know, like I never knew, I never felt like I made it in Hollywood until I got a, until a character that I was going to play got a name. 
Like I, I was able hmm. to get a character who had it like my name was like Kevin in a show or something. I was normally, you know, Waiter like number two. Exactly. And so yeah. I feel like that was a that was the moment for Rachel where where the day she gets named in the paper, the day where there's a picture of her and it's Rachel Dory underneath. Yeah. That's when we'll know that she's a big shot. She's made it until then. You're slumming well, with the rest of us. There are all these sort of markers in your career, right? Like the female staffer thing. We're going to look back on and go like, you know, Rachel's a GM one day, right? And it's going to be like, oh, she was identified as female staffer once. That's the ah, president ah. we're talking but about. But the here. thing is, that's right. Um, but I mean, I remember it happened to me when I was, uh, when I first went over to, to CBC to work at Hockey Night back in, in 2008. In a couple of years, I had just been doing ringside and did the Hockey Night in Canada radio show on Sirius. And then a couple of years, I think it would have been like 2010, I think, me and Scott Morrison started doing a little segment um, called the iDesk, mm-hmm. which was essentially- oh, yeah. Get the t- right, remember, Rach? Yes, uh, I remember guys, that. Get these two guys to read tweets. Just that was the, the, the early version of read tweets on TV. And that was groundbreaking at the time. I know, like, wow, they're reading tweets on television. Ooh, <laughs> CBC is so cutting edge. Um, and I remember walking through the atrium at CBC one day and like, I'm like a nobody still. I, I, I'm still like, uh, I still get like, okay, who's that guy? I recognize that guy, but I'm not sure what his name is. But this is like even well before that. And someone yells out from one end of the atrium to the other end. Hey, I desk. Now, not hey guy from the I desk, not a hey, there's the guy. No, I've been <laughs> identified as the desk. I'm Jeff like an extension the of desk. the desk. Yes, half man, <laughs> half desk. And then Colby Armstrong told me a story once when he uh, when he started at Sportsnet and he was back in Pittsburgh and he's talking to Crosby. There I go again. Wayne Gretzky always said, don't mm. drop names. There wow. you go. Wayne Gretzky told me, never drop names. I think Robert De Niro told me that too once upon a time, but I digress anyhow. <laughs> um, Colby was talking to uh, to Crosby and he's like, Sydney's like, so so who are you working with over there at sports? And now that you're transitioning from being a player to, to a broadcaster, and he goes, well, I, I mainly do shows with Jeff Merrick. And he goes, oh, the iDesk guy? <laughs> so still, to this day, I'm still still getting you're the iDesk guy. So so, so Sid, that's your version of female staffer to Sidney Crosby. Yeah, iDesk guy. So Incredible. I'm actually Col- now going change. Me I'm going to change your name in my phone to iDesk, iDesk guy. guy. <laughs> Yeah, Colby still calls me that every now and then. Hey, I desk guy. 